I wonder if you've ever been at the place in your Christian life where you desired to be in a different day, in a different era, perhaps that era when miracles were regularly performed on the earth. Maybe that era where the Israelites were redeemed from their slavery in Egypt. And God poured out on that enemy nation in judgment those ten supernatural plagues where the people of God who had long been in bondage were led out supernaturally from their captivity right through the Red Sea, on dry land, through the middle of the Red Sea. They came to Sinai and they actually saw the manifestation of the the presence and the glory of God in the, the dark cloud that enveloped the mountain, in the trembling of the mountain, that quaking and Every day for 40 years, they walked outside of their doors and their three meals for the day were awaiting them on the ground. And every day there was a miracle. They were led by the pillar of cloud by day and that that, uh, pillar of fire guarded them by night. I wonder if you've ever been thinking perhaps that, man, wouldn't it be good to have been alive then? What would be better than to see all of that? And that's the question I want to answer. What would be better than to see all of that? Moses went into Sinai. He called out to God. Now a a, a prayer I think that should be familiar, at least to, to those of you who have been with us the last several weeks. He cried out in Exodus 33, if you're there, verse 18. Please, he said, show me your glory. And by now, you know, actually when I was starting out this series, I was thinking maybe this would be a four-week series. Well, here we are in Sunday number nine in this series called The Glorious God. So by now, you should be very familiar with this prayer. For those of you who've been here, you should know the few words of this prayer by heart. You should know who originally prayed them, the occasion for them, what made Moses so desperate to see the revelation of the glory of God. You should know exactly what book and chapter it's found in. You should know all of this. I I want you to be familiar with those things. But I don't want you to merely recall the occasion for this prayer and the man who prayed it and so on. I want you to call out to God with the same words. Show us your glory, Lord. Please. I want us to come to the place in our Christian growth where we have the same longing that Moses had and regularly for ourselves, for those that we worship with on a regular basis, our church family, we pray, please show to us your glory. When Moses prayed that prayer, immediately in Exodus 33, God gave his response. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But notice in verse 20, immediately when God gives this very gracious, incredible promise to Moses, He immediately qualifies it. 
he withholds necessarily from Moses. And he says, you cannot see my face. I will show you great and awesome things. My goodness and my name. But you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And so the following day when Moses was atop Sinai, hidden in the cleft of the rock, covered there by the protecting hand of God, and the glory of the Lord passed before him, the goodness was displayed, the name of God was declared, Moses knew because of what God had said, this was only a partial answer to his prayer. He was only seeing part of the revelation of the glory of God. So today, here we are, 3,500 years from that revelation, living in a completely different day. We don't see the miracles. We don't, even, we don't have so much as the cloud to, to look to, or man on the ground. We don't have that. And I'm not saying that we can see better than Moses can, or we can see better than those Israelites saw. But I am submitting to you today that what we see is better. What we see is better. Because Moses saw a sign and we see the destination. Moses saw a prelude and we see the main event. Moses saw foreshadowings, and we as Christians in this day see the substance. Moses saw traces of the glory of God, and we see the face. And I know that what we have for perception is not eyesight, it's faith sight. But that doesn't mean that our spiritual perception is any less of a perception, that it's not a real perception. God gives such a faith to his people that truly we see the glory of God in the face of his son. So as I've been saying to you all along from the start of this message, this series, Moses' sight, the glory revelation that he saw on Sinai is not the final answer to the plea of the people of God, show us your glory. What he saw is not the final answer. Now, a few weeks ago I asked you, I'm going to ask you again, see if you're with me. What is? What am I going to say next? What is the final answer to the pleading of the people of God, show us your glory? Jesus is. He is the final answer. He is the face of the glory of God. And Moses, you you can just see from Exodus 33, he longed for what he saw. So, we're not seeing better necessarily, but what we see is better. And if Moses had longing for what he was going to see, do you have longing for what we have been enabled in this age of grace and the Spirit to see. Do you long to see Jesus? If what we see is better than what Moses longed to see, do you long to see the glory of God in the face of His Son? 
So we began this series of sermons with Jesus, and we're going to wrap it up in this, these next two weeks, Lord willing, with Jesus. And you may recall, we started with John chapter 1. We're going to, going to go back to John's gospel, and uh, you're already there, John 17. John 17 is an amazing passage of Scripture. If you could have, if you were on a deserted island with, you know, nothing but the ability to, to make fire and cook food and one word, you know, something to read. John 17 or Romans 8, you know, it, it would be, it would be a toss up between the two. This is, I would say, the passage that God used more than any other to bring awakening to my soul, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. It is a, a sum total description of the work of Jesus Christ. A wide angle view. So here in John 17, he's at the end of the earthly phase of his work. And close at hand is the heavenly phase of his work. And Jesus is praying that the work that the Father gave Him to do, which He accomplished, would be effective all down through the ages of the generations of those who would believe on Him. Okay? So I want you to understand what Jesus is praying for here. He is praying over the work that God gave Him to do and praying that this work would remain effective for all His people through all generations until the end until our faith in the glory of God is actually turned to sight. He's praying over His work, which He has accomplished, and praying that it would remain effective. Now, John 17, first several readings, even can seem too complex to, to understand. Um, I, I realize it's difficult, but there is a device here that Jesus uses that will be very helpful for us to interpret what Jesus is saying. And that is repetition. There is something, a truth, a theme, that Jesus is constantly going back to again and again throughout this prayer. So if we will pick up on this theme that he repeats over and over again, and we attach everything else in this prayer to this theme, we will understand what Jesus is praying. As Jesus repeats himself over and over again to the unbeliever, this would be nothing but blah, 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 vain repetition. But for us, the people of God, as we long to see what the scriptures mean, let's just be careful to look at what Jesus keeps repeating and we'll understand what Jesus is saying. So what does he keep repeating? He keeps repeating what the Father has given to the Son and what in turn the Son gives to His people. It's all about what the Father has given to the Son and the Son has given to His people. In fact, in these 26 verses, Jesus talks about what the Father has given to Him and what He gives to His people 17 times. Very explicitly, 17 times in only 26 verses. So this is obviously quite important. All right, let's read. When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. 
Since you have given him, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay. Obviously, the Father has given to the Son. That is something that Jesus repeats explicitly 13 times. Let's list the things that the Father has given the Son. Now, what is the point of all this? Let me back up a minute. What's the point? I want, you know what? Moses, he would have given his right arm to be Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who sat at the feet of Jesus and refused to leave. 
so that she could listen to the teaching of Jesus? Moses, who longed to see the glory of God, would have given his right arm to be Mary. I want us to be Mary. Everyone like Mary. Everyone to the feet of Jesus. Everyone beholding Him. Everyone longing to hear Him. Eyes fixed on Him. Because He is the glory revelation from God. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this prayer. Okay, so let's get into this text. How does Jesus unfold that in His prayer? He talks about these things that the Father has given Him. Let's name them. Number one in verse two. The Father has given to the Son authority over all flesh. Which means simply, the Father has given to the Son authority over all people. The second thing, He has given Him a work to accomplish. Verse 4. He gave Him authority over all people and a work to accomplish. The third thing is it really a, a series of things that amounts to one that Jesus talks about all through this chapter. The Father has given the Son a name. The Father has given the Son a word, or the word, maybe we should say. And the Father has given the Son the glory of God. He has given Him the name of God, the word of God, and the glory of God. And you see this, if you want to scan over this chapter quickly, you see this in verses 6 and 26. He talks about the name of the Father He gives to his people. He talks about this in verses 11 and 12. He says, the name that you have given me. In verses 8 and 14, he speaks of the word that the Father gave him. And then in verse 22, I believe it is, I think I wrote it down wrong. He talks about the glory that the Father has given him. That's it. So he has given him authority over all flesh, a work to accomplish, and the name, the word, and the glory of God, which is really one thing. And the last thing He has given to the Son is a people. And you see this in verse 2. You see it in verse 6. In verses 9 and 10. And again in verse 24. So four things. Authority over all people. A work to accomplish. The name, the word, and the glory of God. And a people. Now let's package it. Let's put it all together so it actually makes sense, all right? The Father has given the Son authority over all flesh, over the entire human race, to give eternal life to some of them, all whom the Father has given to the Son. And this eternal life He gives by the revelation of God's glory that the Father has given Him. Let me say it in fewer words. The Father has given the Son authority over all people to give eternal life to some of them, all whom the Father has given the Son, by the revelation of God's glory that God has given Him. Or let me put it this way. This is the work the Father gave to the Son, which the Son accomplished. He has glorified God on the earth by manifesting the name the Father gave Him, that those whom the Father gave Him may have eternal life. So Jesus says, I completed that work. You gave me a name, a word, a glory, and I made it known. I gave it to those whom you gave to me, that by this revelation they may have eternal life. I have accomplished that work. 
So what is Jesus praying for? What's he asking for? He is asking for the ongoing effectiveness of his work. He is about to leave. He is leaving the world, and his disciples, who are not of the world, will yet remain in the world. And he is asking for his Father to continue effectively the work that Jesus accomplished. Now, do you realize how God has loved you? That he would give his one and only Son, that in him you may see the glory of God. Do you see what a gift you have been given? That we, by the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, I'm quoting Ephesians 1, by the spirit of the wisdom, uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and God's knowledge, we may see the glory of God shining fully in the face of Jesus. We may see a greater glory than anything Moses and the prophets saw in their lifetimes. It's not that we see better, but what we see, who we see, is so much better. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into this a little bit deeper. Remember what Moses cried out? He said, please show me your glory. And what was God's response? One of the things God said to Moses was, I will proclaim to you my name. Which doesn't mean he would just say, my name is Yahweh. Nice to meet you. He wasn't introducing his name as a kind of label. L-O-R-D-G-O-D-Y-A-H-W-E-H or even J-E-S-U-S. It's not about the label. When he says, I will proclaim before you my name, he's saying, I am going to show you who I am. He is speaking of his character. That's why when God does proclaim his name before Moses, Yahweh the Lord, he says, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, but visiting judgment upon the children of the fathers of those who hate him. He talks about who he is. What's in a name? Everything. It's not a label. It's who God is. It's the greatness of our God. It's the greatness of his glory that he has alone. When we talk about who God is, we're not talking about the evolution of God. We're not talking about some transformation that he accomplished. We're not speaking of like the Mormons do, that he was once a man, but by turning over so many moral leaves and by so many great accomplishments, he became God. He rose to the place of God. We're not talking about a process of exaltation. We're talking about who our God is and has always been from everlasting to everlasting who he is intrinsically, inherently in his person. He has never been anything less than what he is today. Yesterday, today, forever, he always remains the God of glory. And there is none like him. That's the name. That's what's in the name. 
God said to Moses, I will proclaim to you my name. That was a sign. What Moses saw, what Moses heard was a sign. It was a prelude, a foreshadowing. It was the traces of glory. Again, Jesus is the substance. Jesus is the main event. He's not the traces of glory. He is the face of glory. So look back at John 17 and what Jesus claims in verse 6. Looking? No, you're looking at me. Look at verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name. Back in John 1, the apostle introduces us to Jesus and says that Jesus is the Word of God. He is the Word of God in the flesh. No one has ever seen God, John says. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus has made God known to us. It's in Jesus that we see the Father's glory. So look back down at verses 25 and 26. Jesus starts off His prayer for His people saying, I manifested Your name to them. And that's how He wraps up His prayer. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You, and these know that You have sent Me. I, what did He do? I made known to them Your name. And... I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, singularly, ultimately, He is the one who makes God known to us. He is the glory revelation. He is the one who has made God's name known. It's no wonder that earlier in John's Gospel, in the narrative, when the religious leaders sent the temple guard to arrest Jesus, they came back, the temple guard came back empty-handed, and the religious leaders accosted them and said, hey, where is he? We, we gave you a job. Why haven't you done it? And the temple guard said, no one has ever spoken like this man. And is it any wonder, I've been alluding to it, that Mary, when there were so many other things demanding her attention, I'm sure that, when Jesus arrived to Mary and Martha's and Lazarus' house, he was pretty hungry. But you know what essentially she was thinking? I am hungrier for Jesus than Jesus is hungry for food. And she said, I am going to sit at Jesus' feet. Martha, you remember, she was just skittering about doing everything that was necessary to get this meal together. She was trying to be a good hostess. And she complained to our Savior. But what did Jesus respond back to her? He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But listen, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He said, one thing is necessary. That's the good portion. To sit at my feet to behold the glory of God and my face, the good portion, the one necessary thing. And I wonder how many Marthas there are in this room who have so many demands for their time and attention, who are constantly going and don't take the time that we should to sit at the feet of Jesus. Again, what did Jesus say? This is the good portion. 
What did he say? He said, one thing is necessary. Everyone in this room to the feet of Jesus. Everyone like Mary. Everyone to the feet of Jesus. Because He is the one who makes God known to us. He is the one who receiving this name, this revelation from God, manifests it to us. Now look at what Jesus said about His own disciples. He said in verse 6, He said, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me. And they, He says, have kept your word. Now, we know that the disciples had, they were blockheads a lot of the time. They were on the verge of an incredible, their worst worst failure to date, as they're all about to, to scatter when Jesus, the, the, the guard come to arrest Jesus. But what does Jesus say about them as a whole? Even despite their many failures, he says, they have kept your word. What I'm submitting to you is that when Jesus talks about the name and the word and the glory that the Father has given him in which he has turned, given to his people, those three are the same thing. We're not talking about three different works of Jesus giving three different gifts. It's all the same. So he says, I manifested your name and they kept your word. They kept your word. What does that mean? Even despite their many failures, it means they held fast to Jesus. They believed. Look at verse 8 or 7. They knew that everything that God had given the Son was from God. That is, everything of Jesus was from God. Look down at verse 8. Jesus gave them the words that the Father had given him, and they received them, and they came to know in truth that Jesus is from God, and they believed that the Father sent him. They kept God's word. They held fast to Jesus. So when he spoke, they knew that they were hearing the voice of God. When he moved, they knew it was the way of God. When he acted, they knew that they were seeing the arm of God. They believed what Jesus spoke. When Jesus said, I am the true bread from heaven, the bread of life, they believed it. When he said, I am the light of the world, when he said, I am the door to abundant life, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In John 11, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, when he says, I am the true vine, your life. They believed that. They believed that what Jesus said was from God. They kept the word that Jesus gave to them from the Father. They kept His word. They held fast to Jesus. And the credit for that goes to Jesus. Jesus says that He manifested God's name to them. And look at verse 12. He says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name. I gave them your name and I kept them in your name. I kept them close to me. I preserved them. He prays in verse 11 that God would keep them. He is leaving, so God must now keep them in the name. Okay? So God has given to His Son a name, a word, and a glory. 
And those three things are one. It is the glory revelation. This is the glory of God shining through Jesus. That's what He has given to His disciples. Now, again, what I'm trying to do is, is I'm praying that God would create longing within your heart to get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus. Everyone to His feet. So I want you to see the, the power. I want you to see the glory of this revelation. So look at the effects now. As the disciples stay close to Jesus and they keep His word that He gives them, what are the effects? Look at verse 13. Jesus says, I am speaking these things. What things? The name, the glory, and the word of God. And what's the effect? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus speaks these things and we have joy. The joy of Christ. Another effect is that in verses 14 and 16, that we are no longer of the world, but hated. No longer of the world, like Christ is not of the world. Look at verse, just scan over verses 15 to 19. The effect of the glory revelation from God and Jesus is that we are kept from the evil one and consecrated to the purposes of God. Again, just like Christ. Look at what he says. He says, I, I consecrate, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. And how are we sanctified? It's in the Word. In the Word that God has given to His Son to give to us. So he is praying for the ongoing effects of this glory revelation. And then look what's next in verses 20 to 23. He says, we become one. Like Christ and His Father are one. And we bear a witness to the world of the name and the word and the glory of God, just like Christ. In fact, I want to, I want to read this. Look, look at verse 11. This is the effect of the glory revelation. He says in the second sentence of verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then look down at verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I remember when I was reading this for the first time when the Spirit was giving me eyes to see and ears to hear. And I saw that Jesus prayed for us very specifically. Well, I can't say. It's just, it was reviving. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Do you see the effects? Let, let's just rehearse them again quickly. We have joy in the glory revelation. It's the joy of Christ. We are no longer of the world by this revelation, just like Christ. We are kept and we are consecrated to God's purposes, just like Christ. And we become one, 
just like Christ is one with the Father and bear a witness to the world of His name, His word, and His glory. Just like Christ. We become what we behold. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you can see it. But I just want it to be clear in your minds. When we're talking about the name and the word and the glory of God, we're talking about one thing. It is the revelation from God in His Son. Jesus is the glory revelation. The face of God's glory. He is the final answer to our prayer. Show us Your glory, Lord. Now, what do we want as a church? What do we want? What are we itching for? The Apostle Paul said that in the last days, people won't have any tolerance for sound doctrine. But they will heap up for themselves teachers who will scratch their itch. Having itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And you see this in the world. People want change, but they don't want to be changed. We talk about seven steps to a better this and that. All of this pop psychology and health and wealth and talk about how the the people of God can be self-fulfilled and have good self-esteem and all of those things, which self-esteem is by no means, having self-esteem is by no means wrong. I'm saying we're going about it all wrong. All wrong. Why are we demanding, I used this example a while back, and I made it up, but it's kind of typical. Seven steps to a better Monday. I mean, yeah, everybody, you, if you read that on a blog heading, seven steps to a better Monday, everybody's clicking on that post. Everybody. Who doesn't want a better Monday? And yet the glory revelation of God awaits us in His Word, in the person of His Son. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact imprint of His nature. If you want a glorious vision, it might be hard work. Moses had to climb Sinai. And you are going to have to slow down You're going to have to eliminate other things from your schedule that are good things like Martha needed to eliminate and Mary did. She cut it out because she said she knew I am hungrier for Jesus than He is for food. I need to sit before Him and hear Him. And He said, you're right, Mary. He said, Martha, you're wrong. You need to be like her. Come to my feet. One thing is necessary. This is the good portion, and it's not going to be taken away from her. If you will pursue Christ, if you will pursue the glory revelation of who God is in the face of Jesus, that won't be taken away from you. Do you want it? It might be hard work to get to the top of the mountain, but glory awaits you at the top. And if you will ask for God to give to you His Spirit, He will give you the legs to climb there. He'll give you the heart to want it. And He will give you the eyes to see the vision that awaits. Eyes to see the glory of God in the face of His Son. Do we want it? Uh, Just one thing I want to quickly consider. uh, One effect in particular. We talked about a lot. But oneness. 
I've been in talks with ministers of our community for several months now. And we, we were working to establish a doctrinal statement around which we could unite and make a difference in our community. But we found differences, major differences. The younger ministers of us said, we can't do this. And one of our group, the larger group, said that this is carnal, fleshly, to divide over doctrine. How can we make a difference if we don't reduce this doctrine? Let's lessen what we need to agree on. And then we can present a united front to our community and make a difference. I appreciate the sentiment, but it's all wrong. Doctrinal minimalism does not progress, advance the mission. It impedes the mission. We must unite around the truth. You see what Jesus said? He said, you have given me a name, you have given me the word, you have given me the glory, and I have given it to those whom you have given me, and by that they are one. And the world believes. That's what we have. That's the effect of the glory revelation of God. So if we, as a family, as brothers and sisters and children of God together, will be like Mary and all together get to the feet of Jesus and never untune our ears from His revelation and never unpeel our eyes away from Him, we will be one. It's not about getting together around a worship style. It's not about getting together for some cause or movement or theological label or anything like that. It's coming together to the feet of Christ and hearing His teaching. That's the church to me. This is the church to me. Everyone at the feet of Jesus. Do you believe His Word when He says these are what the effects are? You will have joy. The joy of Christ. You will be kept you will be consecrated to the Father's purposes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we will be one as Christ and the Father are one? Do you believe that God will pour His love into us and Jesus Himself will be in us and the world will believe that God has sent His Son? Do you believe these things? If you will believe these things, how can we ever resist not cutting out all of the peripheral things and all together coming to the feet of Christ? What do you want? in the church. I don't want a show. I don't want theatrics. I don't want gimmicks. I like a good time, but that's not ultimately why we're here. We're here to, together, come to the feet of Christ and hear from Him and see from Him the glory revelation of God. And when we do, we will be effective. The world will believe. So I want you to join with Moses in his prayer. Show us your glory. And I want you to join with me. Let's join with Christ in his prayer and pray that the glory revelation from God in Jesus would have incredible effects, transformative effects on the life of the people of God here and in this community to the salvation of the world. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray. We need to pray. 
Because we can't do it on our own. We can't conjure it up on our own. We can't just reproduce the desire of Moses or the desire of Mary or the desire of your son. We need you to work in us by the power of your spirit, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. We need your spirit. Would you be so merciful, Father, as to pour out your spirit on us so that we forget ourselves, forget our different agendas, opinions, wants, those things, so that we all desire and long for the same thing, to come to the feet of Christ and see your glory in him. Put that desire within our hearts and do irresistible work in us. I pray that what Jesus accomplished would transform us today. In his name we pray. Amen.